Poso maoni work, wai wainan kitana ni mua e yoski pietaya posnotaman e yum MITW podcast. A yospis pietaya posnapi notaman and e hisikimaka e yoso matnamineho kihi. Welcome to the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. We are your hosts, Gary Dodge and Sheena Wapus. On this episode, we are joined by Vaughn Bowles. I'm not calling you guest. Um, and he is the public information officer for the Incident Command Center for the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin. And he is here to answer the COVID-19 questions we have as usual. Um, so we would like to remind people that we request that you send any COVID-19 related questions or topic suggestions into uh, uh, to us via email at podcast at MITW.org. Welcome, Vaughn. Hey, thanks for having Happy me Happy Friday. <laughs> Happy Friday, guys. Okay, so last week we talked about a lot of like um, vitamins and supplements and things like that. Um, do you have follow-up on some of those um, natural herbal supplements um, that we didn't get to cover last week? Yeah. So last week we talked a lot about vitamins and minerals. Um, this week we looked into a lot more of the herbal remedies, vitamin or not vitamins, um, berries and, and natural things like that. And so some people asked about things like elderberries. Um, and the scientific evidence has studied more of the European versions we have obviously an American version over here in our country. Um, they're pretty similar chemical wise, um, and they're just full of various antioxidants and vitamins that boost your immune system as any type of fresh berry really would. So um, if you are eating elderberries, it is beneficial for you and your immune system. Um, there's also a couple of different types of barks that are interesting that we got asked about. I don't really know how to pronounce um, this one. I'm sorry. I, uh, it's spelled C-I-N-C-H-O-N-A. Um, anyway, what it is, is the bark that is used in uh, the Americas that was originally used to make quinine. So it promotes um, releases of digestive juices. It helps with bloating and stomach problems, um, but it also helps with blood disorders and whatnot. Um, and they've found that it helps with malaria and the common cold. Um, how that relates back to COVID is COVID-19 has a similar uh, mechanism for invading the cells as malaria does. And so you could extrapolate that this specific bark could help with COVID, not scientifically backed, but it might help. Just throwing that out there. Um, we were asked about licorice root, which is used for anti-inflammatory purposes and swelling, um, but it's not really that great for respiratory uh, conditions. Additionally, someone asked about naproxen, which is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. It's not an herb, I understand that, um, but it's used to treat inflammation issues, um, chronic inflammation issues. It's, it's not something you take if you injure yourself. Um, and it probably won't help with COVID at all because uh, that's more of a respiratory condition, even though it does trigger some anti-inflammatory conditions throughout the body. Um, that said, they asked about black walnut, uh, which contains uh, high concentrations of tannins that help reduce pain um, and also dry up bodily fluids like mucus. So that could be a symptom support, not really a cure, uh, but it could help, you know, 
make the make the whole endeavor of being sick slightly more pleasant if you were taking that. Um, additionally, uh, people asked about wormwood. Uh, wormwood was also used to treat malaria if you made a tea with it. Um, just like we said, it, because they have a, a similar mechanism of action, wormwood might help. Not a cure, but helpful. Uh, and then the last thing, someone asked about dexamethasone, which is a cortical steroid, um, which is uh, you know, used to reduce your inflammation again, calms down an overactive immune system. They haven't looked into how this would affect COVID, um, but in some cases the immune system does get overstimulated. May help, may not. The court's out on this one. Um, don't take extra dexamethasone for COVID if you have it. So that's a, that's the follow-up we have on some of the, the herbal remedies and stuff out there. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, so it's been in the news recently about some issues with hand sanitizer and some recalls. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so the recall issues, um, if you go to the CDC website, it'll give you a full list of all the hand sanitizers that have been recalled. They've been finding trace amounts of methanol, which is a wood alcohol, and one propanol. Um, these two contaminants can get absorbed um, either through the skin or if you know a child has hand sanitizer and sticks their hands in their mouth, obviously they've digested it. And the problem with this is both of these uh, chemicals can cause blindness and seizures, and if you get a high enough concentration, it can kill you. Obviously, if you're a child, it doesn't take nearly as much um, and so that's why they've recalled a lot of these um, hand sanitizers from the market. They include things like, you know, the Hello Kitties hand sanitizers, um, some clean and clears. There's an Assured with Aloe. Um, you, you mainly want to stick to uh, a hand sanitizer that they say has a minimum of 60% ethanol or isopropyl alcohol. Um, but if you can find a hand sanitizer with 70% or higher, you want to go with that. That's obviously a, a stronger concentration and it'll be more beneficial for, you know, removing uh, viable viruses or deactivating viruses on your hands. That said, stick with soap and water. That's always the best policy if you have it. So, yes, um, there's been a lot of recalls. Um, we can actually put a link to the CDC website if you want to check for specific ones to see if you have one of the recalled sanitizers at your house right now. And then I had kind of a follow-up question that you reminded me of. Um, I had heard that actually a lower percentage of alcohol is more effective than a higher percentage or something like that. Is that any truth to that? So it kind of depends. Um, if you're dealing with bacteria, that can be the case. Um, and, I, I, you know, the science is kind of convoluted on how that works, but it, it essentially um, allows for... Um, rupture of the cellular membrane. Um, it doesn't always work the same with viruses because their their lipid protein coats are different than bacteria. Um, but yeah, with bacteria and stuff, 60 and 70% um, concentrations for hand sanitizers are really effective. So that's why they say, you know, have a minimum of that. Um, you know, some of the higher concentrations might be more beneficial for viruses and stuff. So yeah, there's, there is truth to that. It kind of depends on what you're trying to kill. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I had a question um, as far as like false negative tests go for uh, COVID-19. Um, I had some people that had told me personally that they felt like they had it. They had all the same symptoms, 
that they would have with COVID, like sense of lost sense of taste and smell. Um, and they had been around somebody who was positive, but yet they tested negative. So what are the chances that that's a false negative? So false negatives do occur. They occur with any type of testing, really. Um, and it kind of depends on the um, the method of testing and, and the machine that, that's processing the, the sample. Um, that said, they've looked at some of the different types of, of COVID tests out there. Um, they've found that false positives can range anywhere from like 5% to 30%. Um, but they've also found that if you are in direct contact with someone that has COVID-19, um, and it's it's been a very um, it's like a very recent exposure, you know, within a couple of days. Um, if you're tested at that point, you're much more likely to get a false positive, uh, sorry, false negative, and it'll say that you don't have the virus. The reason for that is there hasn't been enough viral buildup in the system for that specific type of test to confirm the presence of the of the virus. Um, that's why if you've been exposed to someone with COVID-19 or you get a call from, you know, a healthcare professional saying you've been in direct contact, they usually have you wait about four days before they start doing testing because that's when people start to exhibit symptoms, um, usually in that four to five day window. And that's usually when there's enough virus built up in the body to confirm whether or not it's true. So, um, yes, false negatives happen, um, happen more frequently the closer you are to your initial exposure. Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of a waiting game. No one likes to hear that. Um, some of the recommendations on that though, if you do feel you've been exposed, like your friend was saying, um, mm-hmm. and you do have all the symptoms and you do get tested and it does say you're negative, mm-hmm. you could still assume that you have it and quarantine yourself to prevent spread. Because at this point, we just don't know if it's COVID or a seasonal flu. Some people have crazy allergic reactions to the pollens and whatnot, um, that are similar. And so, uh, you know, you can always uh, ward or choose the the side of of most precaution. So it's mm-hmm. it's not uncommon to do. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and then we also had a question as far as the masks and how long they last, um, like surgical masks uh, in particular. So it really depends on what the surgical mask is made of. Uh, mm-hmm. Usually a surgical mask is either a thin type of paper or cloth material. Those are usually only good for a one-time use ty- uh, situation, um, especially if you've come into contact with someone that has COVID-19. Um, if you haven't come into contact with someone that's is exhibiting any sort of symptoms, they say you can reuse it maybe once or twice. Um, there are certain types of masks they can sanitize, though. They'll use um, either UV light or microwave um, radiation or, or various things to do that. Um, most of us don't have access to those types of, you know, cleaning equipment. So, um, if you have surgical masks, just consider them essentially disposable, um, and toss them. If you're using say a cloth mask and you don't run into anyone with symptoms, um, they usually recommend that you wash them after, you know, three to five uses. Um, that's going to decrease the effectiveness of your mask. Um, so keep that in mind. If you have come into contact with someone who has symptoms while wearing a cloth mask, you definitely want to wash it immediately after. Um, and again, remember, try not to touch the exterior of the mask when you're taking it off because then you can contaminate yourself or, you know, your environment around you. Okay. And then um, 
with the Shawano County Fair coming up, um, will that put us back into phase one for the tribe? Oh, that's a wonderful question, Gary. And <laughs> the hypoth hypothetical questions are always the best. And I can say possibly or maybe not. We don't know, really. Um, it kind of depends how many people are there, how long they're there, how closely packed together they are. So we're not certain. Um, and we wouldn't really be certain until, you know, one to two weeks out to really see how big of an effect um, the fair has on spreading the virus. Um, it's just like any one of those events where there are a lot of individuals closely packed together, whether they're, you know, churches or protests or, you know, knitting circles. Um, it, it could be anything. And so uh, we, we're not sure how much of an effect that'll have and if it'll put the the tribe back into a phase one type of work scenario. Um, if we do see, you know, a giant spike, we very likely would go back to a phase one just so um, we wouldn't spread it throughout our community. So it's possible. Okay. And then also, will there be consequences for employees that go to the fair? So technically tribes and employers aren't allowed to tell employees, you know, what they can do in their off time. That said, there has been talk of if you knowingly go to a place where there is a high volume of, of COVID spread, um, you are responsible for that. Um, and you may likely be required to take personal time off um, that is unpaid. Um, but that really depends on the employer and the department. And so if people aren't sure, uh, we'd suggest that they contact their supervisor and talk to them about it and get the details on it. Okay, and then we have a um, listener um, question. Does uh, drinking alcohol kill the coronavirus? I'm going to have to give him a no on the drinking alcohol and the killing of the coronavirus. Um, it's a little different than the hand sanitizer. doesn't work the same. So no, drinking alcohol won't kill the virus. I'm sorry. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> um, did you have any final words before the weekend to put out there you know the cdc has been doing a lot of research on covid right now um, and they're pretty certain at this point um, individuals only that have covid only keep antibodies in their system for about three months or so three to four um, what that means is that it is um, it's possible that they can get reinfected uh, it doesn't mean that it's going to be as bad um, but it, it has the possibility to be as bad or worse. Um, the immune system's kind of fickle that way. However, they are finding people um, that have been infected, even though their antibodies might decrease, uh, still have a T-cell immunity, which is part of their white blood cells. Um, and so that's, that's positive. And so there's been talk of, you know, a vaccine not working or a vaccine working. Um, it is possible that, you know, we might be able to make a long-term vaccine that promotes a T-cell response. And so... Um, you know, they're looking into it more. Antibodies aren't the end-all be-all. They're helpful, but there's still hope and possibility that there, there could be a viable vaccine out there on the horizon. So I just wanted to give people a heads up about that. Waiwanan, for listening to the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also listen to the podcast on menominee-nsn.gov under the community tab. And keep up to date by following us on Facebook at MITW Podcasts. 
We do weekly updates with Vaughn, and again, we welcome any community questions or topic suggestions that you have regarding COVID-19, so please send those to us via email at podcast at mitw.org.